We're in the book of 1 Peter, uh, where the, Peter is writing to the church uh, regarding being people who are entering into a period of what we call soft persecution, where they're being marginalized or not embraced in the majority culture, and he's preparing them for that. And so he says in verses 1 and 2 that they are elect exiles. So they're exiles. They march to a different beat, a different drummer. Uh, they live differently than the Greco-Roman culture. In fact, it says in chapter 4, the Greco-Roman culture, verse 4, is, is uh, surprised that you don't enter into their lifestyle, and because of that, they malign you or they marginalize you. So as I last week that this elect exile standing was based upon the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and strengthening with His blood. A wonderful Trinitarian statement. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, which refers to regeneration or the new birth, and then obedience to Jesus and sprinkling with His blood. And so we come to verses 3 to 5 in chapter 1 this morning, uh, which talks about a living hope or a lively hope or a life-enhancing hope or a life-building hope, where Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. Now, this passage is a passage that just sings. It's just full of joy and energy that talks about the living hope. Uh, C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity has a three-page chapter on the hope of, of the, the Christian, the gospel hope. And it's a wonderful little statement. He says there are three ways to approach hope in this life. He says the first way is what he calls the fool's way. And the fool's way says this, if only I can get this degree or have this relationship or drive this car or live in this zip code or have this success with my children, then I will be happy. And Lewis says you never get there. There's always a sense of disappointment. And so, and so you're always hankering for the next big vacation or the next big trip or whatever. It says the other way is, is the, the way of the sensible man, but the frustrated man. The, the sensible man is somebody who's, who's pursued the fool's way and he says, I never can get there. Therefore, since I realize I'm operating on the law of diminishing returns, I will cut back my expectations and go through life with what we call a stiff upper lip and not expect too much. And Lewis says it makes him bearable, but he's not very happy. There's a third way. The third way is the Christian way. And this morning we're going to talk about the Christian way, the biblical way to the issue of hope, the blessed hope. This morning some of us were praying the passage that we prayed through is Psalm 92 that we'll close the service with. But Psalm 92 says this, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, 
For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. You've made me glad. Now, just to ask you this, do you experience a lively hope, a living hope, a life-enhancing hope? Can we say with the psalmist, O Lord, you have made me glad. I was listening to a sermon, reading a book by a guy named Alistair Begg, and he talked about a nurse he knew on the West Coast who says that she was dealing with a patient in a cancer ward. He had inoperable brain cancer. He was dying. And she went in and checked his chart, and one of the attendees had written on the bottom of his chart this. He said, Mr. X is inappropriately joyful, close quote. He's a believer. He said he's inappropriately joyful. I, I, I know there's pain and sorrow and brokenness and death, and we grieve when that happens. But I, I wonder if, if, if in my life, your life, your contemporaries can look at you and say, you know, sometimes he's just inappropriately joyful. That's what the passage says. Do you have a, a living hope? This passage sings. There's a book entitled The Virtue of Hope. I read some of it lately. And he talks, he talks about this issue. He says, you know, when you, when you look at uh, life and how life is structured, he writes this, what, what is obvious is that it is extremely difficult to live in the modern world with any semblance of serenity, perhaps even difficult to live here with any degree of sanity unless we learn to use the theological virtue of hope, which he has entrusted to us. And listen, Hope is the understanding that there will be a preferable tomorrow or future. A preferable future. That's hope. The scripture talks about the importance of, of hope. And he goes on in this book, he talks about why is there so much despair. And then just a couple things I want to mention as we think about hope. He says one reason there's so much despair is what he calls the, the ubiquity of the news outlets. Uh, those of you who are young don't understand this, but there was a time when we had to wait until the next morning to get the daily news. It was in the driveway in a little rolled up paper called the newspaper. And sometimes even then it was delivered maybe once a week in some places. I lived as a child for Sunday night. Some of you at my age remember Sunday night, you had the wonderful world of Disney followed by Bonanza. Man, I loved it. I love the Cartwrights, dun, 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 dun. you know, little Joe Haas, Adam. I, I loved it. And so we would just live for Sunday night, and we were able to watch it. And, and occasionally, I mean occasionally, rarely, we'd be watching Bonanza or Walt Disney, and there would be, we interrupt this program for a bulletin from, you know, what, ABC News. And they'd come on and say, we have a, the president's going to give an address. Oh, who cares? I'm in the fifth grade. I don't care about the So but, but that, that's what we have. Now, listen. You have on your smartphones an, a notification, ongoing, there is a shooting in Philadelphia, or there's a shooting in El Paso, or there's a shooting in Las Vegas. I mean, you get it as it's happening. And, and so the guy that wrote this book said that, that leads to a certain amount of, 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 of pessimism, and you, you believe the sky is falling. And so when you think about the ubiquity of the news outlets, I would, I would just say this, challenge you, 
there's a book called The Common Rule, and one of his four rules for every day was every day, that's to grow in the Lord, you, you get in the Scripture before you go to the media. So when you get up in the morning, do not turn on the Internet. Go to the Scripture. Or turn on the Internet if you're going to use a Bible, Internet. But I mean, but don't go to your podcast or your news outlets or this or that or so forth. That, because you've been called to a living hope. To, to be, at times, inappropriately happy or at peace. And also, this article, there's an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal in the book section, book review section, entitled, the, just a few comments, The Lonely Burden of Today's Teenage Girls, written by two women who are sociologists who deal with teenage girls. And they said this, just a few comments, they teenage girls are experiencing high levels of depression and loneliness. A 2019 survey by the Pew Research Center found that 36% of girls report being extremely anxious every day. They are particularly worried about school shootings, melting polar ice, and their ability to afford college. 2011, the American College of Health Association reported that 31% of female freshmen at our universities say they have experienced overwhelming anxiety. Five years later, 2016, we are at 62%. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, in 1993, young women scored the highest levels of suicide ever recorded, but from 1994 until 2007, there was a trend down, but from 2007 till today, suicide rate among young women and men especially has skyrocketed. And then I'll just read this paragraph. The American Association of Pediatrics now warns that too much social media use can lead to depression and anxiety. Social media works against basic developmental goals. Physical, cognitive, relational, sexual, and maturational. Girls sleep with their phones and react to every notification as they create more interesting, supposedly happier virtual personas for themselves. Their real selves diminish. Girls collect likes instead of making friends. They can be devastated by a cruel text or a tepid reaction to a selfie. Long before they hold hands with the date, they are exposed to online pornography and misogynistic messages. Wall Street Journal yesterday. So, I say that to say we live in a culture of despair. And I'll just give it, give it aside. Uh, I don't do Facebook. I never have. I never will. And uh, I'm, I'm an old guy. I wouldn't know how to do it if I wanted to. Uh, I don't do Snapchat or whatever you do. The, the, the problem, the problem with young people, are, they're, they're, young people are laughing. Okay, I'll just go ahead and laugh. The, the problem, though, with, with Facebook is, as I've, Facebook is today's answer to the proverbial annual Christmas letter that I hated. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody sends out a Christmas letter, and my wife and I vacation eight weeks in Paris and hang glided from the Eiffel Tower. And our children are all road scholars, and I've just measured to have 10% body fat. And I'm, on the, I'm going to be the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine, and yada, 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 that type thing. Now, see, the, pro the, pro the problem, quite honestly, with Facebook, nobody's ever going to say on Facebook, we had a terrible week. My wife and I can't agree on anything beyond what we're going to have for breakfast, and sometimes that's a stretch. 
Our kids are driving us crazy. What do you do? Is there a convent in Switzerland we can send our teenage daughters to? I mean, you, 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 they're not going to say that. And so you read that and you go, man, I am isolated. I'm the only one having problems. Every person here has problems. Every person. Every person. And if you don't think you have problems, you're totally in the dark because you do. So anyway, so at least isolation. So let's go to the text. So it's a lively hope, a living hope, a life-enhancing hope, a life-embracing hope. He starts off with saying this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point in the NSV, ESV is added, blessed be the God and Father, praised be His name. He's gloriously good. We've already seen, chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father, regenerated by the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus and sprinkling by His blood. So blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. So one reason for the, the, the blessed hope, the lively hope, is this. In His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Now, we're going to deal with an issue that is somewhat controversial. I'm going to lay it out there and cause us in the text. Caused us to be born again. Last week, the foreknowledge of God the Father. So one reason for great and lively hope is to understand that God in His mercy has worked in my heart and has loved me with an everlasting electing love. It's a mystery, but it's biblical. I think it's biblical. So, for example, in Romans chapter 8, the, the passage people go to when they're trying to wrestle through this issue. In, in Romans 8, there's a statement about, about those whom he foreknew. Listen, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Stop. So, so the end result of God's work in my heart is to conform me to the reality of Jesus and who I am, to make me kind and gracious and forgiving and bold and courageous and desirous of obedience, to, to live for others. So conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, many just like him. Listen. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. It means declared righteous. God called you, he declared you righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then it's like Paul, you know, drops his quill. And he throws up his hands and he said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Which is, that, that's why I read that and go, Wow. So, so the first reason for life, we hope he's, he's caused us to be born again by his gracious mercy that's embraced us with an everlasting love. He loved us before time began. If you're, it's amazing. John chapter 1, as John is getting ready to delve into the gospel, he says in verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. And then he qualifies it. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. God had mercy. God had mercy on us. He loves us with an everlasting love. It's a mystery, but it, man, it just builds confidence. I, there was a fourth grader who wasn't listening very well, as fourth graders, boys especially, are want to do. 
the teacher gave him an assignment for the weekend. He says, we're talking about the world and maybe where you've come from as far as your, your background. Maybe it's West Africa. Maybe it's Eastern Europe. Maybe it's Asia. Maybe it's Australia. So ask your parents or your grandparents where you came from. The little boy went home, didn't quite get the assignment. And so he goes home and his granddad is there. He says, granddad, where did I come from? Where did you come from? And he thought, I don't want to get into this as well. A stork delivered you. And a stork delivered me to the family room. He said, oh, really? Go to see his mama. Mama, where did I come from? Where did you come from? He says, well, he said, I don't, I don't want to go here. He said, a stork delivered you. Family room. A stork delivered me. He had an older brother, 10 years older. He says, brother, where did I come from? He says, well, a stork delivered me and delivered you. I don't want to get into that. And so he goes back to school on Monday, and the teacher says, does anyone have anything to report? He says, yes, I'm sad to report there hasn't been a natural childbirth in our family in four generations. You know? Well, I look at the text here. I look at the Scripture. And I say, child of God, how were you born anew by the Holy Spirit? How did God in His marvelous foreknowledge and mercy call you to faith? Here's the answer. The Word of God was preached. The Holy Spirit came down and took that Word and made it effective in your heart. And you were born anew by the power of God. Not, 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 not your decision, not your spouse's decision, not your parents' decision. God worked in your heart. So all, all glory and praise goes to Him. Eternally loved, called, preached, Holy Spirit, salvation. So my question is this. Have you crossed the line from unbelief, murky understanding, to the statement of saying, I believe Jesus is eternally God who died on the cross for my sins? Have you crossed the line? Have you done that? Do you have this lively hope? I'm not asking, are you part of the righteous remnant? I'm not asking if you're a church member. I'm not asking if your parents are believers or missionaries or whatever. Have you crossed that line from unbelief to belief? You say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I now want to live for him. Do you have this lively hope? There's a hymn that's in the Baptist hymnal that's in a, a retired repository somewhere. Uh, but it goes like this, my God, I did not choose you, for that would never be. My foolish heart would spurn you had you not chosen me. I think of Ephesians 2, it says you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. But this is this, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. Just like here. He's caused you to be born again to a living hope. So, so very quickly, what does understanding God caused me to be born again? What does it produce in my life? Number one, it produces this. It produces a humbling of, of what God has done in me. Baptist Faith and Message, Article 5, the Senior Worship Guide says this. Election promotes humility and excludes boasting. Amen. You were dead. I mean, dead. God breathed life. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's one reason, reason I, reason, one reason I love campus outreach and college ministries because God breathed life into me when I was 19. Breathed life into me. Opened my eyes. 
So it, it promotes humility. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Every person here should say that. And then number two, it, it gives us confidence. First Timothy, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him until that day. Philippians 1 6. It is only right to, for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. And I am convinced that God is able to do that which he can do in your life. So if, if I believed that, that my destiny depended upon how tightly I hung to God in moments of discouragement or alienation, and, and that I, I would never, if I believed that, I would be thunderstruck with sorrow. But, but if I believed that God Abba Father, by the power of the Spirit, through the work of the Lord Jesus and the sprinkling of His blood, holds me, guards me, joy, rejoice, confidence, confidence that you're on the right side of God's history. There's a book I read several years ago by John O'Sullivan entitled The President, the Pope, and the Prime Minister, Three People Who Changed the World. It's about Ronald Reagan, John Paul II, and Margaret Thatcher. I read a recent book entitled America by Bill Bennett that has the same theme. And I thought, you know, those of us who are a little older can remember those days, and, and, and they were really, they, they were glorious days. They're glorious days. Uh, and... I just remember the sunny optimism of President Reagan and Pope John Paul II. And I remember reading about Ronald Reagan addressing the National Association of Evangelicals. I think it was 1986, 85. And he challenged them. He said, I'm beginning to read some articles that say there is a moral equivalence between the Soviet Union and the United States. He says, don't, don't, don't believe it. He says, the Soviet Union is, Union is the evil empire. It's the only time he ever said that, but man, it made worldwide news. Can you believe he said that? And I, I remember reading and thinking, what, what else do you call a, a country that's murdered 70 million of its own people? Pretty evil. And I remember reading about a man named Nathan Sharinsky, who was a imprisoned in a gulag in the Soviet Union, and they heard that address on wireless. And and, and, and he was able to tap out on the prison pipes the message that President Reagan gave. And he said it filled us with hope because finally someone was telling the truth. I remember in 1988, uh, the, the president goes to St. George's Hall in the Kremlin. He's become a friend of Mikhail Gorbachev. And Mikhail Gorbachev has this lavish banquet for the President of the United States, which is wild. And, and he gives this nice introduction to Reagan in front of all these leaders in Europe in this glitzy, wonderful, beautiful hall with tapestries that have been there for hundreds of years. And he steps to the microphone and he says, I want to say to my friend Mikhail Gorbachev, sir, God bless you. <laughs> and they say when he said the word God bless you, people gasp. <gasps> The first time the word God had been used in that hall in 70 years. But there's an optimism because you feel like you're, like you're on the right side of history. And I, and I tell you, I, I tell you right now. I mean, you, you read the papers and you say, oh man, it's, we're going here. Listen, God is God. 
We're called to have a lively hope. Now, if you're, I want you to be aware, and I'm, some of you are, kind of are, have the, more of an Eeyore mindset. I understand that. I'm more of a Tigger, so I'm not trying to berate you Eeyores out there. But, but if you are a full-orbed Eeyore, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, no. Here we go. If you're a full-orbed Eeyore, Repent. Repent. We're going to have an Eeyore repenting service after the service up front. You can come up for it and just repent. I repent of being an Eeyore. Listen, God is God. You've been called to a lively hope, a life-enhancing hope, a life-producing hope. That's what the Bible says. So, so, so it, it, is a, it is a living hope. Please understand this. I believe in prayer, okay? The Bible teaches prayer. If, for example, I pray for the church in North Africa. I get a chance to go there once a year or so and meet with pastors and hear their stories and see what they're going through in Libya and Algeria and Egypt and Morocco and Tunisia and Mauritania. Anyway. And I pray for them every Thursday. But if I didn't pray for people to go and educate or for literacy distribution and give money to literacy distribution and to pay for people to go and represent Christ, then my prayers would not have feet to them. Do you understand that? So, so when I think about a lively hope, I think, am I pressing into what the Lord wants me to do? We talk about who are your three. Who are the three people in your family, your neighborhood, your coworkers, your friends who are unchurched and you're not sure what they believe about Jesus. And if they die today, you don't know if they go to heaven or hell. And so we say, who are your three that you're trying to influence? And and, and listen, if you're just praying for your cousin in Sacramento and you're not staying stand in touch with him and saying, how you doing, what's going on, how's life on the West Coast, and then occasionally saying, hey, well, I want to send you this, or I, I'm thinking about you, and, or, or you have neighbors and you don't have them into your home for nachos and football, or nachos and Downton Abbey, whatever you, whatever you want to do, and, 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 and befriend them, you're not putting prayers to your faith. Let me tell you, don't sit there. I say this to myself. Press forward. We have a living hope that is lively. Do not sit and rest on the laurels of yesteryear. I say that to all of us. Go forward. It, it is a, a, a lively hope. So Romans 10 says this, this the, the logic is inexcusable or undeniable, not inexcusable, undeniable. Listen, Paul says he, he's glorying in God's mercy and God's elective purposes. It's a wild passage. Romans 9, 10, 11 is just wild. It's kind of like wild. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Then he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good tidings. And I say, let's go forward. So a living hope, 
a living hope. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Secondly, this living hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The focal point of everything we do and think and sing about ultimately is about the life and ministry and incarnation of Jesus Christ. The focal point. If you want to have a lively living hope, think about Jesus and sing about Jesus and glory in God in the flesh, the eternal God who became a man, a glory in that goodness. Think about the greatness of Christ. Colossians says this, verse 21, chapter 1, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I need to glory in Christ. I need to sing about Christ and glory in him. Uh, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 11. It's, we don't know what the background of Psalm 11 is, the Psalm of David, but it's basically David says, there's people around him saying, the world is coming to an end, we're going to hell in a basket, flee to the mountains. Let me just read part of it. David starts off by giving his thesis statement, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow and they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And many David says to people, say they're, 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 they're in the dark. They've pulled back the bow. is taunt. You can't see them. They're in the dark. They're doing a secret. And they've got the arrow aimed at your heart. So you flee like a bird to the mountains. That's what David says, his answer. The Lord Jehovah is in his holy temple. The Lord Jehovah's throne is in heaven. The Lord's on his throne. And I, I just say to us, man, the, the Lord is on his throne. Let us push forward. So a, a lively hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm thinking, you know, here, here's David celebrating and glorying in the fact that there is a God who's on the throne. And he saw dimly, 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 dimly through murky drapes the coming Messiah King whose name is Jesus. And we stand on this side of the full incarnation, full revelation of Jesus. We stand on, on this side of the cross and the empty tomb and the ascension and the poured out Holy Spirit and the closing of the scripture, everything we need for life and godliness is here. How much more should we say, you know, I don't know what about, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know this, God is on his throne. And nothing happens in my life that doesn't come through the hands of my living Savior whose hands are hands that have nail prints in them. Thirdly, we have living hope because we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's just it's it's, it's incredible. Imperishable, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. I can see why we should be at times inappropriately happy because a day is coming, brothers and sisters, when there'll be no more spinal bifida, no more cancer, no more cerebral palsy, no more multiple sclerosis, 
No more heart disease. No more broken bodies, shattered lives. But there'll be a place of glory called heaven. And for that, we're so thankful. Do you have a living hope? A lively hope? The story goes that there are two older women, very old, playing cards in a retirement center. They've been friends for 50 years. They were playing cards, and one of the ladies put down her cards and says, you know, I, I hate to ask you this. We've been friends for years, but I cannot remember your name. And her friend dropped her cards and glared at her. And her friend said, could you tell me your name? And she said, finally, when do you need to know? <laughs> she didn't know either. Now, we, we can laugh at that, can't you? Like the gentleman who said, you know, I used to, before I was, when I was dating my, my wife, I was courting her. I wanted to make sure that every hair was in place. Now I get up in the morning hoping that both hairs are still there. You know, there are a thousand old days jokes. Let me, I, I believe we are, the, we are the only people that can laugh at those jokes. And if you are a secularist, you think that this is all there is, you, you're going to go with the poem by Dylan Thomas. When he says, do not go lightly into that night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. You rage, you shake your fist, you curse my body, it doesn't respond well. He wrote that in the aftermath of the death of his dad. I mean, you rage against the dying of the light. But, but, but if, you, if you are a believer, you realize that you have a living hope, a glorious hope. It's called heaven. And not only that, but you have a hope now that, that God is working. So I go, go back to Psalm 92. Listen to this. This is a celebration of, of being older. Listen. The, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. Thank you, older people. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright and He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in Him. They still bear fruit in old age. They are green and filled with sap because they have the hope of the gospel, a lively hope. Okay. This passage just sings. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are thankful today for the hope of the gospel, the, the lively hope, the life-enhancing hope, the pushing into the wind hope. And we ask that you would, first of all, teach us that hope and let us look forward and lean forward and trust and expect and long and and, and believe that you can do incredible things and, and to know that our responsibility is to pray and love and serve and care and diligently go forward and trust you. And I pray that you would forgive us at times of being not filled with a lively hope, not being inappropriately joyful, 
not believing that you truly are king and God and that your purposes are being worked out. So, Lord, we trust you, and we pray that you do a work in our day and in our time that would absolutely startle us and fill us with overflowing, abounding, lively hope and joy. Thank you that you caused us to be born again to a living hope. When we were dead, you spoke to us. When we were lifeless, you breathed life into us. We thank you. Oh, God, show us how to go forward, how to trust you, how to live it out. We praise you. We praise you that we can love and pray for the coming generations and believe that you're a great God who's building your church. We praise you we can look even at the persecuted church in difficult, hard places, even North Korea, even Iraq, even Algeria, where it's, it's just hard, hard. Sudan, hard knowing that your purposes will be worked out. So let us trust and go forward and and go and send and love because we serve a king who says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go you therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded. And I am with you always. Thank you that you're God who's with us always. So as we go forward, thank you that you go before us and you attend us, Holy Spirit of God. So we thank you. We earnestly pray for a fresh movement in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.